try this again. There we go. Bobby Elizabeth, if y'all decide uh, that you need to move closer to Gray, we're looking for strings for the orchestra, and we need some keyboardists. That'd work out pretty good. Ravi Zacharias tells a story. Ravi Zacharias tells a story of an Olympic runner. He said that uh, he watched the Olympics and saw this guy run, and then uh, a couple of weeks later, this guy calls, calls the office. He's never met Ravi. Ravi's never met him. The guy calls the office and wants to talk to Ravi, and Ravi says, well, sure, or his secretary says, sure, he can do that. So the guy came and told him the story of all the steps he became, he took to become an Olympic runner. He told Robbie of all the races that he had run, how he progressed to each new level, how hard he had worked, how much he had practiced, how he had won all those competitions until finally he made it to the world stage. He is in the place where the Olympics are going to be run, international, people from everywhere are watching, and he is the guy that's favored to win the gold medal. He said the big day came. He entered the arena where the race was to be held, him and seven other guys. said all the stands were full from people of all the nations of the world cheering on their particular person up there as eight of them walked up to the starting block to start the race. As he got into the block, you know, they got the little foot thingies that you put your feet up on to get ready to run that kind of a race. As he's getting into the starting block, he has a moment where he flashes back. And for a brief second, he thinks of his dad. He said his dad told him years and years ago that he would never amount to anything. That he had a a very difficult relationship with his father. And he said he thought to himself in that moment, I wonder if dad is watching me right now. Well, the gun shot, the gun fired off, they took off running, and three men crossed the finish line at almost the exact moment. And the Olympian who was talking to Ravi Zacharias, who was favored to win the gold medal, won the bronze instead. And he said, in that moment of losing my concentration and thinking of my dad, I lost one step when the gun went off. And that's what cost me the gold medal. Now, the direction you might think we're going to go is, dads, think of how important you are. The way we're going to go is this. When your child is born, do you ever dream of what they're going to become? When your child is born, we have no idea what that little baby is going to become, not a one of us. We all have hopes, we all have dreams, we all have aspirations of what we want for our children. We can teach, we can train, we can helicopter, we can disappear. And while all of those things All of those things are indicators that have been scientifically studied that can talk about the success or failure of a child in life. We all know, every one of us know, that our children are going to grow up differently than what we thought. Our children will be different. Do you think for a moment that that Olympian's dad ever considered for a skinny minute that his tiny son would grow up and be racing in a race that the entire world would be watching? Do you think that ever crossed his mind? And you know, we do this 
We do this without thinking about it. I get the privilege every now and then of holding, holding Caleb right. And I caught myself as I'm holding their, Laura and, and, and Daniel's baby, holding him in my arms. I have caught myself thinking, I wonder what he's going to grow up to be. And you've done it. You've done it with your own children. You hold them in your arms and you think to yourself, I wonder what this child's going to be. Every one of us that have had a kid, all the way from the ones that have the youngest babies to all of us, some of us that have grandchildren and great-grandchildren, you can't help yourself when you hold that baby in your arms. The convicts that killed the two prison guards and escaped and got caught last week, their mama and daddy held them in their arms as a tiny baby and thought to themselves, I wonder what my baby's going to be when it grows up. Barack Obama's mom and dad, Donald Trump's mom and dad, held them, your mom and dad, held you in their arms and thought to themselves, what will my child grow up to be? I wonder if our parents have any concept because I didn't think about it, and I, I guarantee you didn't think about it either, how much influence your child is going to have in their life. You know, the Bible tells us, Jesus said that the most important thing we can do is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said this is the most important. This is the most important. All the other stuff fills in the blanks on this. This is the most important thing, that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second greatest command is love your neighbor as as yourself. Maybe Jesus understood just how important it is for parents to raise their children, not just for themselves, but also for their neighbors. Whose picture is that? Stevens. Sophie, whose picture is that? Rachel's. Sarah and Sophie, where do Stephen and Rachel live? Africa. Sarah and Sophie, does Stephen and Rachel have a mom and a dad at home that take care of them? No. Do they live at Global Samaritan's Children's Home where a house mom takes care of them and brothers and sisters? Yes. Sarah and Sophie, how else do we help take care of Stephen and Rachel? We We give presents. All right, what else? We give money. We give our offering. What else? We give Christmas presents. Yes. We pray for him. All right. And what else? We love him. Sarah, who's... I suppose if you asked Sophie and Sarah if they love Stephen and Rachel, they'd say yes, and they do in their own way, I suppose. But how in the world did they even know about Stephen and Rachel? Two children, orphan children who live in a, uh, in a home in Africa. Now, I can't connect all the dots for you, but I can connect some of them. A number of years ago in this church, we sent groups over to Africa, over to Zambia, on mission trips through Global Samaritans. Were any of you on those mission trips? Did any of you ever go on the mission trip to Africa? Anybody? here today that went on, there's Terry, oh, there's, yeah, uh, <laughs> my mind went just like that, there you go, it's, it's Terry's daughter, 
Yeah, that's, that's the one that just graduated, got her nursing degree. And your name won't go on. Oh, I hate that. And I'm doing it in front of all of you. Yeah, Courtney. Oh, I've only known her for years. <sighs> anyway, do you think when your mom and dad was holding you, Courtney, and you, Terry, and whoever else might have raised their hand that I didn't see, when you were being held in your mom's arms and your dad's arm, do you think that they had even a whisper of a thought that one day you'd grow up and go to Zambia? Think that thought ever occurred to them? That going to go on a mission trip. Now, I don't know if, if all of you did, but I, know, I don't know if y'all did, but I know for a fact that Laura Lee, when she went on a mission trip, she met Rachel and she met Stephen. We've been watching them grow up in this church for years. We've been given money through the children's department to fund them in Zambia for years, and we've watched them grow up. Do you understand what that means? What that means is, is that we, the members of the First Baptist Church of Gray, and our children have been supporting two orphan children all the way around the world. We've had a part in raising them. Do you understand that? When you're giving the quarter or the dime or the dollar that you give for that children's offering, and, and you, it really it's an afterthought half the time for us. Oh, they're supposed to, they're taking up money. This is what we're supposed to do. But do we realize the impact we're having on those people? And see, let's take this even a step further. Beyond the fact that we had dedicated volunteers to go there, how did we find out about those two kids in the first place? Well, somebody from First Baptist met somebody from Global Samaritans. How did Global Samaritans get started? Well, two doctors got together. Two doctors, husband and wife team, Bo and Ruby Cheeves, or Chevis, I don't know how they pronounce the name, started it in 1997. They're from Greensboro, Georgia. I have a suspicion, I could be wrong, but I have a suspicion that these two doctors from Greensboro, Georgia, speak with a southern accent and like sweet iced tea. I bet you they do. And these two people went to Zambia as doctors and noticed that these kids, there were an awful lot of orphan kids in Africa, just all over the place, and something had to be done. And God whispered in their ear, well, then do something. And they started an orphanage in Zambia where 56 children are living right this minute. Now, do you think for a skinny minute that, 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 that Bo and Ruby's mom and dad ever had a whisper of a thought, number one, that their kid would actually grow up to be a doctor? I mean, we all want our kids to grow up to be a doctor or a lawyer or the president or something like that. Do you think that they even thought that to start with? And secondly, do you think that their kids, they thought even for a minute that their kids would grow up and start an orphanage in Africa? See, this is, this is why this is important. These precious seven little preschoolers that we dedicated today, do we have any clue? They start at zero with 936 weeks to get to 18 years old. Do we have a clue how their lives were, are going to affect the world? That is why it is so, so, listen to me, church, it is so important for us to teach them that in the beginning, God created. 
even at that age, they've got to hear that. They've got to know that, that God created. In our Discovery, play, our Discovery Clubhouse, that's what we call our preschool area, we start with these truths before they're old enough to count, to read, to write, to make long sentences. We teach them that God made you, that God loves you, and God wants to be your friend forever. We start from the minute we get them telling them those messages. Because, yeah, we want them to grow up to know Jesus as their Savior, but we want to grow them up so that they will be men and women of God so that one day when they're a boss or an employee or a mom or a dad, they will grow up knowing that the most important thing they can do, period, is love God and love each other. And this is when they learn. If you start teaching it to them when they're 25, you're done lost. It's hard to recover at that point. This is where we start. We are raising our children not only for God, but for our neighbors too. Now Saul was going to see the city preaching about Jesus. One day, the day to the front entrance to the city, the men that he once worked with were guarding it. So him and some of the other disciples had to go around to this wall over here Put him in a basket and throw him over. <clears throat> Long story short, Saul was eventually caught and put in prison. Most of his letters in prison are part of the New Testament today. Paul was brave, bold, and courageous to keep preaching about Jesus, even being faced with prison and death. The disciples worked hard to the men Christians, Christ's followers. Some of our responsibilities as Christians are keeping prayer in schools, and one nation under God and the Pledge of Allegiance, and God we trust in our money. It's our responsibility to keep God in this nation, send missionaries to other nations. Amen. So you can't just stand there. You can't just sit there. You can't just lay there. You need to go out. You need to lead others to Jesus. You can't wait for someone else to do what God's calling you to do. I've got a question for y'all. Are you a discipling Christian or are you a Christian standing still? Jackson Malcolm, my man. Jackson, stand up and let everybody clap for you. Thank you, Jackson. Jackson. That was a clip from a talent show at Tattnall where Jackson was a performer. <laughs> he performed. He preached to the folks. Isn't that cool? And just a couple of weeks ago, he preached at the Cedar Creek Baptist Church up in my neck of the woods. And I wonder, by the way, Cedar Creek, you go, well, it's just a little mom and pop church. And they let somebody come in and preach. And that's really cool. The first church I had was just like Cedar Creek. The first one I was called the pastor. The only difference between me and you is I was about 27 and you are 12. You got me beat. 10. 10. 10. What happened? Lord have mercy, son. He's 10. So you got me beat by 17 years. But man, I wonder if when Jackson came into their lives, if Stephanie and Chad held him in their arms, did you ever think once that your little baby boy was going to grow up and preach the gospel at 10 years old? Was that ever a thought in your mind? No, you never considered that. Nobody thinks about that. Do you consider, have you considered that one day, 
Someone will accept Jesus Christ as their Savior because that little man right there stands up and speaks the gospel, not because he's good or bold, but because the Holy Spirit uses those words to change somebody else's life, the influence he'll have by speaking the gospel. Have you ever thought about that? See how important this is. We need to consider we are raising our children not for us, We are raising our children for our neighbors. If we truly want the world to be in a better place, if you truly want to make America great again, we have to realize that our children are being raised for the world. Our children are being raised for the influence that they're going to have, that God's going to give them as they grow up. If we want to be the world a better place, we've got to give them the tools that they need to do it. And the tool that our children, listen, the tool that our children need is Jesus. I don't care what else you give them or what else you do for them. If you don't give them Jesus, you haven't given them what they're going to need to take on life. It's not going to happen. You might think you're smart and you've done all the right things and you've listened to all the experts. If they don't get Jesus, they're not going to make it. It's not going to be right. When they're in our 252 kids age, that's what we call our children's groups, when they start learning the things of God that will lead them to make the wise choices in life with the wisest of choice being to accept Christ as their Savior. That's why moms and dads, when they start at the 676-week mark, you've already lost a couple of hundred weeks. When they start at the 676-week mark, that's when you start driving home the Ten Commandments. That's when you start driving home the moral teachings of the Bible. That's when you start holding your children accountable. Not just so that they learn how to live a moral life, but listen to what the Scripture says. Paul says in Galatians The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. The word guardian is one of the few words that I learned in Greek. I took three and a half years of Greek and I remember about five words. And this word is one of them because it is fun to say. It trips off your tongue and the word is pedagogos. I can even sit down and spell it correctly. After I typed it in for the sermon, I went and looked it up, make sure I got it right. And I was so proud of myself because I spelled the Greek word right. Pythagogos. Do you know what it means? uses the word in, in the Christian Standard Bible, uses the word guardian. It could be translated tutor. It could be translated schoolmaster. It is translated guardian. In Greek society, this is how things went. If you had money, you had slaves. Now listen. You know what's supposed to happen? This is 2,000 years ago. They live by a different moral code than we live by now. So just drop the judgment game and listen to what happens with the scriptures. 2,000 years ago, if you had money, you had slaves. And those slaves, your most trusted, your best slave, was given the job of raising your children. And each child had their own slave assigned to them. It's like having a nanny, except it was a guy for the guys. And what this guardian was responsible to do was to teach your child how to live a moral life and raise your boy children to be men. And that guardian child went with that child everywhere they went. 
I'm telling you how crazy we've gotten. We think as parents we've got to give our children their space and they've got their privacy and they've got this. In those days they had no privacy, they had no rights. You're a kid until you're an adult and I'm going to have a guardian that's going to go with you everywhere you go that's going to teach you how to live. If you get it right, they'll pat you on the back and if you get it wrong, they'll pat you on another part of your backside. Because that's their job is to make sure that you grow up understanding how to be a moral person. Then we get the Ten Commandments, and what Paul's telling us here is that the Ten Commandments serve that same purpose for us, except there's a little added benefit to that, is those Ten Commandments remind us that you can't do it on your own. I don't care who you are, how good you are, you can't keep the Ten Commandments. Every last one of us in here is a liar. Every last one of us in here is a thief. Every last one of us in here is an adulterer. Randy, that's not nice to say. I'm telling you right now, if you want to go into details, come talk to me. And in just a minute, I'll have you convinced that you are a liar, a thief, and an adulterer. Because what Jesus said, when you tell your wife that dress don't make her look fat, and it does, you're a liar. We can't get away from it. And the law is there to let you know that this is what God requires, and you can't do it. Therefore, you've got to have something to save you, or you're going to be lost forever, because you can never live up to God. And the law comes in, and the law reminds us that we need a Savior, and our Savior is Jesus. And that's the purpose of the Ten Commandments. So during that 312 weeks that you have from the time they enter the first grade until they get out of the fifth grade, these things need to be pounded in their minds. This is what George Barna said. Now, this isn't Randy Darnell. This is what George Barna said in his research. He said, families, churches, and parachurch ministries must recognize that primary window of opportunity for effectively reaching people with the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection is during the pre-teen years. It's your primary window of opportunity during the pre-teen years. It is during these years, listen, this puts a burden on your shoulders. It is during these years that people develop their frame of reference for the remainder of their lives. Theologically and morally, consistently explaining and modeling the truth. Now, you can't do what my daddy did. I caught my daddy once, and he said, don't do as I do, do as I say. And Barna's saying, that don't work. Sounds good, that don't work. Barna's saying that you have to consistently explain and model truth principles for young people in the most critical is the most critical factor in their spiritual development. Jackson, I'm telling you right now, son, we got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do. There's a lot of people that don't know Jesus. The clock's ticking. And they got to know. We need to get to work.
I looked back to make sure Charlie Mayhew wasn't dancing. I know Charlie likes that kind of stuff. <laughs> these children this morning, why in the world did we have these three children that most of us don't know playing in our worship service this morning? Because it is the best object lesson in the world for us to help us think. You see, Carol and Bobby Wheeler had their son. I can only imagine that the first thought wasn't, I hope he grows up one day to work for Clorox. That's where Bobby Jr. works, is with Clorox. Now, there's nothing wrong with working with Clorox, but that's just a practical. And nobody thinks practical when you have a baby. Not a single last one of us. We don't dream that way for kids. That's why there are signs posted at the T-ball park that remind parents that T-ball is just a kid's game. Because mom and dad look out on the field and they see a future major leaguer out there that's got to shag the ball just right and play the ball just right and do everything just right. And it is just a game, parents. We don't look at them and say, we don't think when we're holding them in our arms, I hope they grow up to be a welder. I hope my child grows up and drives a school bus. I hope my child grows up and works for the sanitation department. Nobody dreams that. Nobody dreams to be a manager with Clorox or to work with AT&T. Nobody does that. We have these big dreams for our children. But you see, the Wheeler's son did grow up, and he got a job that moved him away. And Bobby met Elizabeth, and they got married, and they had Children, and they raised their children in church to know God, and those three children were ministering to us this morning. Those children were ministering on that video just a moment ago. I don't know if you noticed, but that, the fiddle play in there happened in a nursing home. And no, they weren't standing up preaching Jesus, but you know, sometimes the best way to preach Jesus is to show somebody that you love them. Just be there. That's what the folks in the nursing home want. These children were ministering Jesus. When our children enter middle school, we have 364 weeks left. 572 weeks are gone. One of the most important things for this age group is to start answering the question, what did God create me to be? That was the worst question for me in the whole wide world. Our society is consumed with the idea of what will I be when I grow up, and now it's a death-defying question. You know, a hundred years ago, the kids grew up, and they were going to follow in mom and dad's footsteps, and now you can't even say the sky's the limit, because now we're exploring things beyond the sky. Kids have so many things. The only thing I could think of, and y'all, because <laughs> you know how I think, the only thing I could, I, could, I could make an analogy out of or draw an illustration out of is being starving to death and going to a Chinese restaurant that's got one of those hundred item buffets. And you walk in and you're starving to death and you see these hundred items and you want them all. But you know you can't eat them all. And then you start working through your head, all the crazy stuff that you work through your head, you know. You look over and, and you really want to get the crab rangoon. Those boys are good, and you eat about 50 of them. I mean, they're just, they're just really, really good. Got about a million calories apiece. And you know you shouldn't do that. And you look over and you see the cottage cheese. Cottage cheese is the biggest joke that somebody ever played on humanity. 
They sit at home and laugh at you for eating cottage cheese because they know it tastes horrible and they can't understand why you keep buying it. And you look at the cottage cheese sitting on a little piece of pineapple and you think, well, I ought to have that instead of the crab rangoon. And you, you, you get the, the, the practical thoughts, you know. That's the way we get. Personally, I think that the most important thing you can do for your middle schooler, this is, this is Randy, but I think I'm right here. One of the most important things you can do for your middle schooler is to help them know who God created them to be and how God gifted them and then guide them and protect them as they become that. Your child may grow up to want to be a welder. A welder doesn't have to have four years of college. But we've got people that will say that if your child doesn't go to college, then they're a failure and you're a failure as a parent. Well, buck up. Just buck up and protect your child. And let your child be what that child is, is, is gifted to be. I believe there are so many unhappy people right now because you're trying to be something that God didn't create you to be. Either, either you're trying to be very practical or you're pursuing something that's pretty that you're not skilled at. It's like those kids who sound like the, the train crossing in gray when the train's coming through that think they can sing and everybody tells them they can sing when they sound like that train crossing and they go on America's Got Talent so we can laugh at them. You know? And then you've got the kid that really is dying to sing, but decides that it, it'd just be more practical to be an accountant. Because everybody's telling me that I can't make a living doing what God gifted me to do. I don't need to pursue that. What did God create you to be? These kids in middle school, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, if God's word is true, and I believe with all of my heart that it is, that he gifts each one of us in a certain way to be used in his kingdom to show people Jesus. Not to make us rich or healthy, but to show people Jesus. What did God create me to be is probably one of the most important questions your child is ever going to answer for themselves or for their neighbor. is a camp in Clemson, South Carolina for adults with special needs called Camp Hope and kids from the ages of 5 to 13 who are economically disadvantaged or hearing impaired called Camp Sertoma. Camp Hope is a camp that I have been working in for the past two summers. Every Sunday afternoon a different group of campers come and we spend a week doing different activities like canoeing, hiking, swimming, archery, and camp out. I love working at this camp because the campers who might not get the love they deserve at home get a whole week at camp where they can be loved and cared for like they deserve to be. They are also just really fun people to spend time with and get to know without the distractions from the outside world. And it's also just a very fun thing to do, even though you don't get paid a lot. Just, it's a good experience. <laughs> I've had three sisters work at the outdoor lab, and at the end of every summer, they come home with thousands of stories to tell about all of their campers. I visited there before, and everyone I've ever met at camp is super awesome. So I figured, why not go spend the summer with them? I'm excited to meet all the campers and finally have some stories of my own to tell. That's Rebecca and Joanna Daughtery. 208 weeks left when you hit the ninth grade. 
Might even be less, though. You look at our backdrop here, you wonder, we got the little footprints of each age. But if you look, you'll notice that in the, in the high school years, there are less footprints than there are in the first three. Because we start losing them here. They have three curses that get them. Driver's license, an automobile, and a boyfriend and a girlfriend. And once they get those, they start going other places and doing other things. If they're not grounded in the faith by now, that window's about to close. And sadly enough, it's going to close for some of our kids. But here is something that will hold them close. Something that will hold them close. Passion. Passion. Have you ever considered why a chemistry class has a laboratory? Seems like a a no-brainer. I mean, really, you could simply learn the formulas, right? You could learn it from a book. You could memorize everything that you're supposed to know, pass all the tests, and you would know chemistry. But we have labs so that you can take those things that you learned in a book and put a practical application to see it work. And I was thinking I was, as I was writing this, does that apply to every class that you take? And I thought, well, you know, it doesn't apply to history. You know, history you study out of a book. And then I thought, you know, that's not right. Because we go to historical sites. We read historical markers. We go to all sorts of historic things to see what we have studied about in books. In English, we write paper, papers to practice what we've learned in Spanish class or French or German class or any language class. We go to the language lab to practice so we can learn welding class. You don't learn that out of a book. You weld agriculture. Any, nothing is going to teach you how to milk a cow until you go out and lay hands on a cow and milk it. I don't think you can learn how to do that in a book. Just the fact that you're going to stand beside this thing that's ten times bigger than you, it feels like, and start, no. In my preaching class, we had to preach in front of the class, be videotaped, have the video played back, and have everybody critique us mercilessly. In counseling class, in my counseling class, They sat me and another person with an honest-to-goodness issue. It couldn't be made up. It had to be a real issue. And set us in the middle of the room and circled everybody else around us and watched us counsel this person through through their problem so that when we got through, then the class would start telling us what we did wrong and how we could improve. That's how you learn hands on Do you realize that Rebecca and Joanna Daughtery, the two voices you heard on that last video, are participating in a lab when they go to those places? You see, they know Scripture. Jim and Gail have raised their kids to know the Scripture and to love Jesus. And at that camp, Rebecca and Joanna have the opportunity to see what it looks like to love Jesus and teach Jesus and live Jesus. It's not about going to heaven, folks. Heaven is a fringe benefit of our relationship with Jesus. Life is about loving God and loving our neighbor. We really encourage our students here to serve in the church because that's where they will develop their passion. 
We provide a limited opportunity for our middle schoolers, but we push on our high schoolers. And I know that's different than what we've done in the past, and I suspect it's different from what some of the churches do in Jones County, but it's not different from what churches are doing everywhere. It's it's being done in a lot of places because the church is finally starting to understand what schools have understood all along. To learn something, you've got to do something. Now listen to me and think, and don't give me a church answer. I don't want no stupid church answers. I get tired of people giving me church answers. Think about yourself truthfully and answer this question. Have you ever, listen, answer, have you ever personally witnessed Jesus changing the life of somebody around you because of something God did through you? Have you ever personally Have you ever personally witnessed Jesus changing the life of someone around you because of something that God did through you? If you have, you will know, just like I know, that there are not words to describe that moment. You can't even say joyful, wonderful. There are no words. You don't know. You're stunned. You're absolutely, you don't know what to say. Because God took something that I did or said and touched the heart of another person and I saw their life change. And I don't mean hoodoo change. I don't mean we talk about they change. I mean we see something different happen in their lives. It's being in the lab and seeing what you learned in the book happen on the te- in the test tube. Only this isn't a test tube. This is somebody's life. And the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God changed somebody's life because of something you did. And sometimes you don't get to see it right away. Joanna and Rebecca, they get to see the smiles and the happiness right away. But I have a picture of India Wheeler praying with a camper that was one of the Wheeler children that's not here because she's at camp, I believe is what you told me. She's praying with a camper at Camp Windshape. Who knows how that's going to turn out? But she's there touching another person. And that camper will remember for months, if not for years, the fact that she had another human being hold her hands and go to the Father, the God of all, all time and eternity, and pray for her specifically. I thank God that she was there for that child. When the last marbles removed from the bucket on your child's 18th birthday, the clock chimes and it times up. They'll go off to college or to work and they'll meet good people and they will meet vile people. And you know it to be true because you work with good people and you work with vile people. They'll meet helpful people and they'll meet people who are users. They'll see bright lights in the big city and glitter up close and personal. And what we did in the 936 weeks that we had will determine how they're going to navigate all that. You do not want that to be their laboratory. You do not want that to be the first time that they put their Bible knowledge into practice. You want them ready. You want them to have passion for Jesus so that when that happens... They won't fall. 
Will they know who they are? Will they be passionate for Jesus? Time's up. Let's pray. Father, your word tells us a righteous person acts with integrity. His children who come after him will be happy. Father, fill us with your infinite integrity. Cause us to mean it when we say, when we say Jesus, when we sing Jesus, when we pray in the name of Jesus. When we teach our children to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Father, I know that the older I get, the less I know about you. As we walk together, I find many of the ideas that I had about you in the past were just plain goofy. You were so much grander than I knew. You're so much more compassionate than I was aware. You're so much more demanding than I thought you were. And you're so much more empowering than I had ever hoped. You are almighty, invincible, incredible God. We love you and we pray to learn to love our neighbors like ourselves. Help us as we raise these children to be passionate followers of Christ. Don't let us fail because we love you and our children too much. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing you need is Jesus. Jesus, you can, you can have the Ten Commandments, you can follow the rules until the cows come home, but at the end of time, it doesn't matter. What you need is Jesus. It's going to help you navigate. It's going to help you know what's right. He will walk with you. He will whisper in your ear the right things to do. I ask if you've never committed to him as your Savior that you do that today, that you ask him to be your Savior, that you ask him to forgive you of your sins, and that you follow him in baptism. I'd ask you in just a moment as we stand, uh, I would ask you to, to come forward and tell me your story. And church members, I ask you for the next three minutes to pray. And I'm asking you specifically to pray for someone who is lost. Pray for someone who needs Jesus. Pray that God would either put them in your path or somebody else's path. And pray that if they're put in your, your path, that you would know what God has done for you so you could tell them that. Because that's all witnessing is. I ask you in the next few minutes to do that. And then we'll go home and we'll have Father's Day and, and life will go on. But I pray life will go on with you with Jesus. Would you all stand?